Chapter Three of Mr. Hogarth's Will. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Rochelle. Mr. Hogarth's Will by Catherine Helen Spence. Chapter Three Elsie's Situation. It was not mere fancy on Jane's part that Elsie was ill and unhappy. She had magnanimously made up her mind to go to work with industry and spirit, and Mrs. Dunn was perfectly satisfied with her. But she missed Jane's society far more than her sister could miss hers. Jane was constantly employed in occupations that demanded intelligence and thought. She had access to books. She went to theatres and places of public amusement even more than she cared for. She had the society of Mr. Phillips constantly, and that of Mr. Brandon and several other Australians, who were either retired on a competency or home on a visit very frequently, and she certainly thought them generally pleasant and intelligent, and more agreeable company than the provincial people in and about Swinton. Their frank acknowledgment of the early struggles which they had had with fortune, the hearty manner in which they enjoyed the prosperity they had earned, and their kindly feelings toward each other, made Jane have a favorable impression of the colonial people. Mr. Phillips had become acquainted with several people from other colonies than Victoria, partly on board ship and partly from other introductions. A curious and ignorant suspicion that somehow all Australians have a sort of convict origin made it more difficult at that time for them than for retired Indians to get into general society. There was no nice distinction drawn between the different colonies, between New South Wales and Victoria, or South Australia and Tasmania in those days, a slight savour of Botany Bay was supposed to hang about them all. But they formed a pleasant little clique of their own, less exclusive than most cliques, and generally disposed to hold up each one his own particular colony as preferable to the others. They might contrast it unfavorably with Britain, but as compared with the other colonies, it ought to bear the palm. Elsie felt the want of this intelligence, and this variety of character that Jane described to her so minutely in her frequent letters, and regretted that she could write nothing interesting in return. When she came home after a long day's work, she thought she ought to try to keep up a little of her sister's discipline with the Lowrys, and went over their lessons with them. Tom used to bring to her the most puzzling questions, which she thought she ought to be able to answer, and made great efforts to do so. But instead of the intellectual work refreshing her after the sedentary needlework, she felt all the more exhausted by it. As for her poetry, she appeared to be unable to write a line, and though she sometimes could read an old book, she seemed quite unfit to pay attention to anything new. She missed the long walks she had daily taken in Jane's pleasant company. It was not far from Peggy's house to Mrs. Dunn's place of business, and it was a very monotonous walk. The white regular houses, all of one size and height, with their thousands of windows exactly on the same model, seemed always staring her out of countenance, and made her feel depressed even in the early morning. She felt the keen, piercing east winds of an Edinburgh spring, 
as she had never done at Cross Hall, where they were sheltered from them by a beautiful plantation of trees, and the continued poor living and the hurried meals began to tell upon a constitution naturally much less robust than Jane's, so that she began to look pale and thin, and coughed a good deal and lost her appetite. With all these drawbacks she improved so much in taste and skill that Mrs. Dunn raised her wages, or salary, as she genteelly called it, and put her at the head of the department in which she so much excelled, so that she could not bear to give up her contribution to the little fund that Jane was putting into the savings bank. Miss Rennie had persuaded her mamma to try Mrs. Dunn's establishment, and had told that lady that it was all on Miss Elsie Melville's account. So she often saw her and Laura Wilson there, and made bonnets for both of them with her own hands, and the Chalmerses and the Jardines had also come to see how Elsie got on, and other people from the neighborhood of Swinton. Elsie would rather not have had dealings with so many old acquaintances, but Mrs. Dunn thought it was a just reward for her kindness that she had this increase of custom. One day, about four months after she had been engaged in this business, Miss Rennie and Miss Wilson came in with most important-looking faces. While Miss Wilson was busied turning over the fashion-books, her friend whispered to Elsie, "'It is really a case.' Laura is engaged to Mr. Dalzell, your old friend and neighbor, and she is going to give one of her wedding orders here. Mrs. Dunn should be greatly obliged to you, for we never would have come to the house but for you. But this marriage amuses me a good deal. I am sure your sister was fifty times too good for him, and Laura and he will just suit each other. He is very much attached to her fortune, and she will have it settled upon herself, at least Papa will see that is done as tightly as she could wish, and Laura has a sharp eye to number one, I can assure you. She is quite delighted at the idea of being married at eighteen, to such a handsome man, of such good family. Mrs. Dalzell has been to see us, and been so gracious. After all, what better luck could she look for than to be married for her money? With such a temper as she has, too. He certainly is handsome. But for my part, I would rather have a man who is downright ugly than one who grins and bows like William Dalzell. I will be quite glad when this affair is over. Lovers are very tiresome when one does not quite believe in the love. "'Well, Laura, dear, have you made up your mind about the dresses?' continued Miss Rennie, in a louder voice. "'You had better go to Mademoiselle de Four about the dresses,' said Elsie. I must keep to my own department. Oh, Laura wants your taste to help us to decide. You know better what suits than Mademoiselle, said Miss Rennie. But I am going to be busy here, said Elsie, who never felt much disposed to wait on Miss Wilson, and at this time less than ever. And she turned to an elderly lady of a very pleasing countenance, who, with a pretty girl of thirteen, entered the showroom at that moment. Oh, Miss Thompson, said Miss Rennie, shaking hands with the newcomer. How do you do? Are you in Edinburgh just now? You must come to see Mamma. She will be disappointed if you leave her out. Have you come to hear Mr. B? He preaches for the last time in Edinburgh on Sunday. I am in town in Edinburgh for a few days, said Miss Thompson, and will certainly call on your mother. 
this is one of your nieces i suppose said miss rennie yes this is grace forrester my youngest niece who has been doing so well at school and been such a good girl altogether that i must needs give her a new frock for a party she is invited to next week and get it fashionably made too no doubt this is not the dressmaking room miss melville is the milliner we must go to the next room for grace's frock said miss rennie but i am in want of a new cap and bonnet for myself and i must teach grace that old people must be served first and that young folks must wait with patience said miss thompson looking very kindly on the girl miss melville can take my order i suppose you are the sister of the young lady who called on me some time ago yes ma'am said elsie i can see a very slight likeness i was very glad to hear such good accounts of your sister getting a situation with some rich colonial people in london and i hear too that you are a remarkably good hand in your own line so i have come to ask you to make me a cap and a bonnet that will keep on my head and that is what i cannot get the fashionable milliner i have employed so long to make me this year back i can make to please peggy walker said elsie smiling but you will wish for more style a compromise between fashion and comfort with a decided leaning towards comfort said miss thompson are you still living with peggy walker an admirable woman she is and one who i have the greatest respect for but does she take good care of you you look thin and ill i am not very well but peggy is everything that is kind and careful i have missed my sister sadly i hope however to see her soon for mrs phillips has been so good as to ask me to spend a few weeks in london and mrs dunn is going to spare me well i am glad to hear it said miss thompson for it seems to me you want a change and a rest your cousin is making great alterations at cross hall alterations for the better said elsie he told us about them well i'm not clear about the allotments but the cottages i do most highly approve of and i am coming upon my landlord to build me eight or nine after the same plan as near as may be the allendale cot-houses are very old and i will never consent to have my workpeople as badly lodged as they have been if i asked for five hundred pounds to add to the farmhouse i would get it at once for i am a good tenant but my landlord demurred at such an expenditure for cot-houses i think i will carry my point however you know said miss rennie to miss thompson of the new neighbor you are likely to get at moss tower mamma wants to have a talk with you about laura's marriage as you know the dalzels oh, yes certainly i'll call on your mother i don't forget any of my cousins though they are a few times removed but dear me eliza that poor girl melville looks ill the bray she has had to climb has been au stay for her i must look in on peggy walker and hear what she has to say about her said miss thompson as they moved into mademoiselle's department and gave orders about grace's frock while miss wilson looked over dresses made and unmade and received hints and suggestions from any quarter she could elsie wished that she could be out of the establishment before miss wilson's wedding order came to it so she was very glad when after a longer day than usual in which she had exercised her utmost skill for miss thompson's behoof and certainly pleased herself with her work she returned home and found mr brandon sitting talking in his usual cheerful way to peggy and the old man dr phillips 
had wished that Elsie should join her sister before she left Derbyshire, and spend a week or so at his house, for he had been so delighted with Jane that he had a desire to become acquainted with Elsie also, so that Mr. Brandon had come sooner than he had intended, and proposed an early departure. Elsie looked so glad, so very glad to see him, expressed herself so grateful to him for all the trouble he was taking for her, and after asking for Jane and the Phillipses, began to inquire about his own relations, and how he had enjoyed his visit to Ashfield, with so much interest that Mr. Brandon thought her manner more pleasant than ever. End of chapter 3 Recording by Rochelle